You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Well, welcome today. If this is your first time joining us in person online, we're so glad you're here. My name is Morgan, and I got to say, this is our, of course, if you didn't know, this is our final week at two services. Next week, if you didn't hear, we are adding a third service at 1230, and hopefully some of you, especially in this service, may consider moving over and giving yourself some space. Thank you. I see you. Appreciate you. Get a free mint. Um, (laughs) Or two, even, if you ask real nicely. Uh, anyway, but thank you. Thank you for considering that and making it happen. So proud of you. So thankful for us, to all God's doing here. It's amazing. Well, uh, this week is our final week in our series called Return to Me, looking at a group of writers called the Minor Prophets. And we began a number of weeks ago looking at the first minor prophet. His name was Hosea. Today, as we've worked past a few others, we come to the final minor prophet. He's actually the final writer and voice in the Hebrew scriptures, Old Testament. His name is Malachi, and our scripture reading today is from the third chapter of his book. You can follow along here on the screen. God says through him, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, The Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I'll be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? And tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. That's the reading of God's word. And all his people said, amen. Amen. Yeah, all through the Hebrew prophets, we've seen this. God uses this one little phrase over and over and over again. He says, return to me, return to me, return to me. And we liked it so much, we turned it, of course, into a series. He says, return to me and my love for you. Return to me, we saw. In my heart, he says, for justice, for care of the poor. Return to me in how you practice 
your spiritual life, your spirituality. Return to me even in how you run your businesses. But today, with this final use of that phrase, return to me, it's used here in connection with something unique and fascinating. Because God says here, return to me and my heart for generosity. Return to me in your financial life, and I will return to you. Now, let's pause here because, of course, you're all getting real nervous because it's beginning to dawn on you what we're talking about today. So let me just go ahead and confirm your worst suspicion and perhaps your greatest fear, which is that we're talking about money in church. And if that's you and you're nervous, I want to tell you, I understand. If I had your background... I had heard what you heard, experienced what you've experienced, maybe been taught what you taught. I would be nervous too. So before we even begin, let me try to help with whatever present or lingering anxiety there may be by giving you four quick disclaimers. All right, here we go. Number one, if you're newer at Mosaic and this is your first time here or pretty new, you should know we haven't talked about money here in years. Literally, it's years. During the pandemic, 20, 2021, it was never, not once, the focal point of a message. We received a few special offerings, but it was never a full teaching. And whether that was right or wrong or good or bad, I'll leave it to you to decide. To decide. But those are the facts, and it is what it is. Number two, despite my not talking about it for years, many of you know the Bible speaks about money and your financial life at least literally 10 times more than it talks about other crucial things, even like sex. And the Bible, including Jesus Christ, actually majors in talking about money. And we'll see that before we're done today, too. Number three, in 12 years of pastoring here, I have preached only to my knowledge one time out of this passage. So I've minored in this minor prophet. Okay. Number four, and the best news of all is our church is actually doing great financially, and we are not kicking off a giving campaign today. We're not going to receive a special message or today or anything like that, you know. So if you're here today, and this is your first time at Mosaic, or it's your second time because it's always someone's first or second time, or if this is your first time watching online or watching later or whatever, and you're saying, God, I knew it. I knew it. I knew when we were going to go there, we are going to talk about money. That's how it always goes for me. You know, if that's you, I can't help that. All right. All I can say is after three plus years-ish of not teaching on this, all I can ask you to do now is just trust me that that's the case. Maybe ask a neighbor next to you if they're a member here, what they've experienced. And most of all, maybe now you can say, finally, finally he's going to talk about something the Bible talks about as much or more than anything. So how about, can you say, finally? finally? I know, I made you say it. It's okay. All right. Disclaimers over sermon. Okay. Here's my question then. Why, Malachi 3, would God say, again, last voice of the Hebrew Scriptures, last writer of the Old Testament, why would God say, here, return to me and then have it be about your money? Why would he say, come back to my heart and then look at your banking app? Why would he say, hey, y'all, you've moved away from me and then side-eye your financial life? Why would God do and say something like that? Let's try to see Malachi 3, verse 6. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. 
Okay. What God's getting at here when he says, I don't change, what he means is that his love for his people doesn't change. It's something that he actually brought up back in chapter 1 of Malachi at the beginning of the book. And he is reiterating it here in chapter 3 again. He's saying, oh, my people, I love you no matter what. Even though you, in this case, the nation of Israel, have broken my laws, my covenant, I still love you. My heart hasn't changed. I, the Lord, don't change. And that's why you're still around, even though, verse 7, even though ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and not kept them. Now, one of the decrees they had turned away from him, from God in, was how they did their worship. Again, back in chapter 1 of the same book, God had brought up one of those decrees which they had not kept. Back in chapter 1, he said, you all, in worship, you're bringing your leftovers to me. Because back then, God had, you may know, had instituted an animal-based sacrificial system, and they weren't doing it well. Again, in chapter 1, he had said to them, you're bringing me sheep that even you wouldn't eat. You're bringing me goats. You wouldn't give to a guest. Uh, you, you, you know, you're bringing me your, your messed up sheep. You're, you got caught in the gate kind of goats. You're like left for dead animals. You're bringing me your roadkill. You wouldn't do that to your friend. You wouldn't do that to your guest. Why would you do that to your God? And God's saying in chapter 1, here again in 3, you say that I'm the most important thing to you, but you're actually bringing me the leftovers of your financial world. You're not honoring me with what's actually and truthfully the most important thing to you, which appears to be your financial life. And because you're doing that, you're telling me exactly where I fit into your life, which I gave you, by the way. (laughs) Now, of course, he's saying, I love you no matter what. I, the Lord, don't change. My love doesn't change. But come on, what kind of a relationship is that? say I'm first, but you don't put me there. I haven't gone anywhere. I don't change. I love you, but you have gone away from me, which is why God says in the middle of all this, return to me and I will return to you. Now, this didn't mean, of course, that God wasn't present with them, didn't know what was going on, but in some kind of relational way, God's saying to the nation of Israel and Malachi, I would love to move in your direction, but in this area, I'm waiting for you to move in mine first. Now, this principle of moving towards God and having him towards you, move towards you, this is not just some Old Testament deal here. No, no, no. Book of James. Come on, New Testament says the same thing when James, the brother of Jesus Christ, by the way, how odd is that to call your brother your Lord? Hmm? James says the same thing, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. It's the same thing because he's the same God and he does not change, return to me and I'll return to you. God says, okay, they ask, the people ask, God, how are we supposed to return? What does that look like? Should we like read the Torah more, you know, like go take some temple grow classes. Sorry, grows our adult education stuff here at Mosaic, bad joke, but they ask God this question, and he asks a question right back. God asks him, okay, well, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you are robbing me. 
Now, you may have read this before. Have you ever thought about this? I was thinking about this week. I was like, man, this seems kind of weird. Does it seem weird? Does it seem weird that a person could rob God in some sense? I mean, is this saying they could like sneak in God's back door? Like steal his heavenly TV, you know? Pick up his divine watch and carry it off? I mean, like, what does it mean to rob God? Well, rob is a fascinating word. It's not the normal word used for steal in Hebrew. It's a word used only one other time in all the Bible over in Proverbs, and it means less to steal. It means more to defraud. To defraud. What does it mean to defraud? Here's a definition. To defraud means to take something that's meant for one thing and then use it for another. Take something meant for one thing and use it for another. And with this one word, by the way, you'll notice God, he's kind of positioning himself like an investor in your life. For example, if you invest money in the stock market or in your friend's business, you're committing it to a particular purpose. But if that person or group or business or firm to which you entrusted your money takes that same money and then uses it for what they want, there's a word for that. It's called fraud. Yeah, they've defrauded you and they usually go to prison for that. God is saying to these people, you've done the same thing. You have defrauded me. Well, how have we done that, they asked. How have we taken what you gave us, God, intended for us, and then used it for ourselves? God says this, in tithes and offerings. Now, let me try to explain what this would have meant to them. In the Old Testament, a tithe, of course, is just another word for 10%. Jewish people in this particular time, roughly 400 B.C., in ancient Israel would have actually had to have given a double tithe. Double tithe. Off the top, they would give 10% to the temple to pay for the temple expenses and the priests and some for the community. And then they had a second tithe where they would save up another 10% annually, give it to the temple where they would have a big national party once a year. And then if that weren't complicated enough, every third year, the second 10% was distributed exclusively to the poor in the community. So you gave 10% on an ongoing basis to the temple and another 10% for either a big national party or for the poor. The point is, when God says, you're robbing me of your tithes, that's why the word is plural. But let's go a little bit deeper and ask this. Was money actually what was taken away from God? Because if he owns it all, come on, Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the seas and all that belong in it. If it all belongs to him and no matter what happens to it or where it goes, it's all still his, what actually got robbed? What got taken away from him? What did God intend to give to these people, but instead they squandered it? Here it is. It wasn't money as much as it was this word, opportunity opportunity not money opportunity he says you've been robbing me of the opportunity to take care of you and bless you like I promised to do Israel you may know had a special deal with God if they obeyed him in certain ways he promised to bless them in certain ways including financially and God is saying here you have simply shut the door on my financial blessing in your life. You're robbing me, not of money because it's all mine, but you are robbing me of the opportunity to bless you like I've hoped I could, like I've dreamed I could. The door to your financial world, he's saying, is locked from the inside. So God's saying here, move in my direction. 
unlock the door. I love you. I haven't changed. So quit taking away the opportunity for me to be involved in your financial world. They were robbing God of an opportunity to provide for them. Return to me in your giving, God says, and you'll reopen the door for my blessing. Now, when we hear this, we think, golly, that's kind of hard. Oh, it's hard. And to that, I think God would say, I know. I know. I get it. I know it's hard for humans. You all are so used to trusting you. You are so unaccustomed to trusting me. So this is why he says what he says next. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there won't be enough room to store it. Don't you love this? I love this. God says, test me. Try me. I dare you. I, I double dog. <laughs> dare you. I, I double sheep. I double camel. Double goat. You know, whatever you got. Double, really double dog did dare back then. I dare you. To make the first move and watch and see what I'll do. That was his promise. Now, that was his promise to the nation of Israel. Not primarily a promise to the United States of America. Not a direct promise to you or to me. But it does reflect a principle you see throughout the scriptures about any area of our lives where we put God first. Especially when and where it costs us. God said, in any area that's hard, move toward me and watch what I do. I'll respect your choices. You get a choice no matter for sure. I'm not going to force you. But if you will trust me, I've got something great for you. And some of you, you've experienced the same thing, haven't you? The same connection maybe in the area of your kids or your marriage or your job or your health or your dating relationships where you've done it for years your way your way your way and it hasn't worked it isn't working it's not going to work in the future and finally you've thrown up your hands and you've said God help me I'm quitting me I'm putting you first and you've seen something move or grow or change or be different why because that's just who our God is he is a God who says if you will just trust me watch what I do return to me because you used to be there once return to me because I love you return to me because I don't change and I will return to you so how can we do that how can we live this out how can we return well just like Malachi pointed out to these people here to return to God in any area requires a kind of a plan. Does require a plan. So then, it's my question, in light of God's goodness and love and nature and character, what would a new financial plan look like? I think it would look like this. A new plan for Christians hmm, would be centered around not our old covenant, but our new covenant in Jesus would have at the center of it one key idea, one core concept in that new covenant. And you can see that idea in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon of the Mount, in what's been called the Manifesto of the kingdom of God, the manifesto for Jesus' people, how Jesus' people ought to live. And in Matthew chapter 6, 400 years or so after Malachi, in the context of a conversation about money, Jesus of Nazareth says this, and you can hear Malachi kind of ringing around in the background 
of what he talks about when he says this right here. Matthew 6, he said to his people, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Jesus is saying, You are so worried about you that you put you at the top of your financial list, at the head of your financial plan. He says, listen, but the pagans run after all these things. Everybody say things. Yeah. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. Listen, he's saying people who don't even believe in me have that kind of financial plan with themselves at the top and me at the bottom. And God's saying here, listen, I know you need things. Some of you are like, that's right. <laughs> Some like, I like things. I like things too, right? We need, you need a car, a place to live, clothes to wear, education, food. Your heavenly father knows you need things and wants to give them to you. This isn't about taking anything away. This isn't about getting anything from you. This is first and foremost, hear me, about the quality of the kind of relationship you have with the heavenly father who loves you. And so right here, Jesus Christ is about, actually, to make a promise to you, a promise to me, to us. It's almost the same promise he made through Malachi to his people, but this is even better because it is his better new covenant promise to us. It's in the context of your money and your stuff and your things and your financial life. He says this, but seek first, first, the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these, there's the word again, things shall be given to you. So what's the plan? Jesus makes it real simple. He says, put me first. Give to me first. And in doing so, you throw open the door for my heavenly father to care for you. He, again, he says, he says, give you things. Again, not my words. Jesus' words. But listen, some of you are saying this is like a get rich, you know, weird theology. No, this isn't about how to get rich because I've got good news for you again today. The good news is that most of us, well, certainly not all of us, most of us are already rich in here because we are eating, we are living indoors, some kind of money in the bank, and most of us are concerned more with where we're going to eat after church, way less concerned with whether or not we're going to eat after church. All of us are already rich compared to many, if not most, people in the world. So this isn't about getting rich because good news, even if you didn't feel it, by statistically speaking, you are. You know. No, this is about reprioritizing and the sense of peace that comes when you know that God has come in this area because the door is wide open to him. So here's what you do. Here's the Matthew 6 plan based on the Matthew 6 promise. Here's a plan, a system, love for us all to get if we haven't already. Three words, give, save, live. Give, save, live. Would you say that with me? Give, save, live. Yeah, give, save, live. When you get paid, you invest in God's kingdom first. Invest in your kingdom second and decide to live on the rest. Give, save, live on the rest. This is how you throw open the door to God's financial involvement in your life. Now, this is not, I want you to hear me, about giving more to the church this is not some ploy to get you to give more money. This isn't leverage over you. And so if you don't believe me, I understand that, again, based on what you've heard, been taught, or experienced. So if you think this is a ploy for me somehow to get something out of you, hear me, don't give here. Don't do it. 
take that off a table, take me away, take this church away, take giving here off, away off a table as an excuse. But hear me, for the love of God, give somewhere. Be generous. But I dare you to make God your priority. You'll come back and say, I don't understand it. I can't explain it. Something happened in my heart. Something happened in my family. Something happened in my finances. I can't explain it on paper. But because I've reprioritized God, something's changed because I've given, saved, and lived on the rest. Here's the first step to making this happen. Because as you think through each of these categories, especially that first one, you have to think in terms of percentages not dollars for each category. Because throughout Scripture, the Bible always speaks in terms of percentages, not dollars. Want to know why? Because I didn't have dollars. <laughs> like, you're a Bible expert, Morgan. <laughs> percentages, not dollars. God's never impressed with shekels, talents, dollars, pesos, rupees, whatever. God's not impressed with a billionaire who gives away $100,000, that's like chump change. God's never impressed by dollars, but by percentages. And let me tell you how you can know this. Perhaps you know you've read this story, the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus is in the temple with his disciples. And they're standing off to the side, watching people give their offering, their tithes and offerings in the temple. They had a big metal bucket in the temple for a container. And when people gave into it, they had a coin-based system, they could hear the money clang around in there, and the copper coins would go in, and the silver coins, and then the, occasionally a heavy gold metal coin. And of course, the heavier the coin, the louder the noise. The heavier the coin, the more impressive the sound, and the heavier the coin, perhaps the more self-impressed a giver would be. And then, in the story, there's a widow shuffling along all by herself her head is down she's not making eye contact with anybody and she drops her money in and you'd have to lean in and listen real hard to hear it lean in real close to hear anything drop in that big metal bucket and yet this faintest of noises grabs the attention of the son of god why because it's always about percentage and heart never dollars and show. When Jesus sees what the widow did, he says as Mark 12, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put, what's the word? More into the treasury than all the others. And the disciples, of course, they said, Jesus, are, are you sure we didn't even hear anything go in? Because surely it's all about dollars and show and big gold coins. The more you give, the more important that you are to God and temple and people. Jesus, how did she Give more. He said this. They gave out of their wealth. It was easy. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And of course, you know this. Jesus Christ himself lived this out to the uttermost. Because he put in to humanity all he had to live on. On the cross, he gave what? all his breath, all his life, all he had to live on, all that kept him alive. He put it all in. Why? Hmm? Was it to shame you into giving something now? I think that's why he did it. So that some pastor, preacher, teacher, person on camera or in the person could guilt you? No. To show you what generosity and love for God and others looks like. To show you he knows what it's like to give both out of the wealth of his divinity and the poverty of his humanity. Jesus Christ never asks anyone to do what he hasn't already done 
So here's what I'd like for you to do with this. We'll close. Let's apply it. I'd like for you today to go home and have a conversation either with yourself. It starts like this. Self, <laughs> let's have a conversation. Have a conversation with spouse. Now, they have a name, actually, so don't just say spouse. It's not going to help you. This conversation, I hope, may impact not just you, but maybe even generations to come. I'd like you to go home and get out whatever it is you figure out how to do your finances with and figure out what it would look like to give first. Save second, live on the rest. All right? So what if we did this? What if we actually led the way? What if we made our minds up as Christian people? We're not going to use some twisted American use of the word freedom to get away from being generous towards God and others. Right? We put God not last, but first. What if we, if we haven't already, what if we return to him? What if, if something changed for you during the pandemic, what if you returned to God in this area, huh? Now listen, I know this isn't a quick decision, not an easy decision, but you can work your way there bit by bit by bit. And if you do this, hear me, you'll be seeking first the kingdom of God in perhaps the most difficult area of all to seek first the kingdom of God in. And if you do this, you'll open the door for his grace to come in and meet your money, meet your riches, be they ever so great or ever so humble. Listen, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, raised from the dead, he promises that he knows that you need these things. And if you do this, all you need will be added, given to you. You'll have more peace, more margin, a better life, and a better story. Hope you can say amen to that. Let me take a moment and pray for us as we begin to close. Lord, we come and we thank you for your promise to us. Lord, I pray for those hearts here, including mine, that may be fearful about this. That this promise would ring out across space and time and history into our moment now. We would know that God from heaven, God, you came to show us what, what you look like, what you would say to us. You said to trust you, to seek first, and watch what happened. Lord, I pray for us, and for the body of Christ, this nation, we'd be, do, we'd be able to do this and see what happens, how you throw open those floodgates for us in Jesus' name. <clears throat> I pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.